Please open your Bibles to Luke 14, 12 through 24. This passage may be found in your pew Bibles on page 874. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, which is the translation that Pastor Wes Holland will be preaching from. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of, the, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I, mu- and, I mu- and I go to examine them. I must go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I, do, for I tell you, none of these men who are invited shall taste my banquet. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his holy word. I am a proud daddy. <laughs> Thank you, Will. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God, we ask that you would bless not only the reading of your word, but, Lord, the proclamation of it, that Jesus Christ might be lifted up. Lord, um, give us uh, eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe, and wills to obey, we ask through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. You know, I often hear people say, Presbyterians like to eat. Uh, But when I was growing up, I also heard uh, Baptists like to eat. Yesterday, I went to uh, the memorial service for Elizabeth Brown's dad at First Methodist Church in Sefner. And they know how to spread a table, too. And I think the point is, Christians like to eat. I believe that Christianity, in a very important manner, is a table religion. And filling our bellies is not what makes uh, Christian meals special. We can go to Cracker Barrel or Fred's Market and have our bellies filled. Uh, Rather, it's the table fellowship, the sharing of our lives together with God at the center around a common meal that makes Christian meals special. After this past year, I am so looking forward to reconstituting our fifth Sunday uh, meals in the fellowship hall. I'm, I'm missing that. 
And uh, we just restarted our fellowship night meals a few weeks back. And this past Wednesday, it was, it was good attendance. And as I looked around at the tables, the conversation was going back and forth. There were smiles on everybody's faces. And Jimbo driving around on the scooter, going up, hugging everyone. The guys are sitting there eating, and Jimbo's coming and putting his arm around our necks, you know, while we got our mouths full of food and, and, uh, and wanting to hug us. I will say, one of the advantages of COVID is Jimbo's not kissing me anymore. <laughs> I'm having fun, Jimbo, sort of. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, you know, as we were there and then we sang uh, Happy Birthday to Titus, and I just felt like there was such joy in that room, and uh, we were one big happy family. And it's that kind of fellowship with God at the center that makes Christian meals so special. You know, I'm also reminded that one of our two sacraments that we have in the Christian religion is the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper not only symbolizes the death and resurrection and ascension of our Lord, but it also foreshadows that great banquet that we in Christ are going to enjoy together at the consummation of all things. Jesus speaks at length of this heavenly banquet in our passage. And he will teach us this morning that we must make sure that we will be in attendance. That we, each one of us, will have a place at that table in that final great heavenly banquet. So, as we look at the the text, you'll remember that Jesus was invited one Sabbath uh, to, uh, to the home of one of the leading Pharisees, and the, the dinner, uh, well, it was not a model of Christian fellowship. In fact, it would seem like the, the only person um, who was going to enjoy that heavenly banquet was the Lord Jesus. And no one else, maybe his other disciples were not there at... Um, Uh, in attendance at this meal. And instead of uh, observing all the social niceties, um, Jesus began pursuing their souls. Uh, He offended the Pharisees by healing a man on the Sabbath. Then he offended the guests who were there by pointing out their social climbing pride as they were jockeying for the best seat nearest the host. And if that were not enough, Jesus then went after the host by criticizing the guest list. Listen to verses 12 through 14. Remember, we left off at verse 11 last week. And he, he being Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends or rich neighbors. I'm sorry, your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor 
the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Why did Jesus say this to the host? Well, first of all, Jesus is using hyperbole to make his point stick, to make uh, what he's saying very vivid to them. Jesus is not telling us to exclude family and friends uh, at our social gatherings, our festive uh, banquets. Uh, He's not telling us to have a Thanksgiving meal with all our family uh, uh, every time. But rather, his point is that in order for our lives to demonstrate the love of Christ, we need to be willing and Uh, we need to put into practice going beyond only doing good for people who do good to us. We must selflessly look how we can give ourselves away and do good to those who are unable to repay us. J.C. Ryle, uh, he says helpfully, the Lord Jesus would have us care for our poor brethren and help them according to our power. He would have us know that it is a solemn duty never to neglect the poor, but to aid them and relieve them in their time of need. Let me ask you, when was the last time you gave to someone in need simply because you saw that they had a need? In the last few days, I won't pinpoint the day because I don't want uh, to, um, to, to give, give it away, but someone was talking about how someone in this congregation had supported them in a dire time of need, and it just warmed my heart. And I know of so many other instances um, here in this congregation, and I know of some of you who uh, ride around with little care packages in your vehicles so that you might be able to help someone on the street corner in need. Showing the love of Christ. That's what the Lord Jesus is saying here. Don't live your lives to climb the social ladder. Don't live your lives to, for, for selfish gain. Look how you might be able to bless others in their need. Jesus says that his people, this is the the underlying thought of what he's saying, his people are not controlled by selfish motives, but by love. The people at this banquet that he's attending on this Sabbath day, uh, held in the home of one of the leading Pharisees, everybody's jockeying, everybody's being motivated by selfish ambition. And the Lord Jesus gives us an encouragement. I don't know if you heard it when I read it, but listen to the encouragement he gives us in verses 13 and 14. He says, But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. That little handful of bills that you give to someone who is in need. 
or that care package that you have lovingly prepared beforehand. And no one else in the world knows because you don't let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. God knows. And he is going to repay you at the resurrection of the just. It will not go unrewarded. Every act of mercy on your part, God notices. And he rejoices in it. And he will repay you with his blessing. So, Jesus has now implied that the host is driven by selfish motives. And by this point in the meal, uh, Jesus has offended just about everybody at the table. Socially, this must have been very awkward. Uh, One commentator exclaimed, the dinner party was quickly becoming a disaster. And to break then the uncomfortable tension in the room and possibly try and save the party, one of the dinner guests called out in verse 15, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. I I think that the man was trying to say something that the people could agree with, and then there would be a loud amen around the table, and then they could resume passing the biscuits and gravy. But Jesus was having none of it, because he knew the guests around the table would not be eating at that great banquet table in heaven. So Christ pursued the salvation of their souls. How did he do it? By telling a parable about a man who threw a banquet. Verses 16 and 17. But he said to him, to the host, I'm sorry, to the man who called out, Uh, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. He said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field. I must go out and I must and see it. Please have me excused. And they go on with other, other excuses. Now, to better understand why Jesus is telling this parable, um, it's necessary to remember that in that culture, in that day and age, they were somewhat less uh, concerned with clocks or the wristwatches that we wear or even with calendars. They didn't have refrigerators. They didn't have um, uh, electric or, or gas stoves. They didn't have crock pots. They didn't have microwaves. Uh, so it took great effort to, and time to prepare a great feast. The food needed to be pa- prepared uh, days in advance. You think of, you know, you throw in a dinner party with all our m- modern conveniences. It's still a lot of work. Well, it was a tremendous amount of work to prepare a great feast in Jesus' day. Food needed to be uh, purchased days in advance. The animals, the, the, the beef or the, the lamb or whatever was being served, you just didn't go down to um, the store and buy the, the packaged meat. You know, you had to, to kill the animal. You had to skin it um, and, before you could cook it. So the host would send out a servant days in advance probably three or four days in advance, 
and he would personally make the invitations to the guest uh, on the guest list in order then that the host might be able to plan wisely as they go and buy and as they prepare the food. If you accepted this invitation, it was a firm commitment to attend. Then, when the banquet was prepared, the servant would be sent out again, maybe the day before the banquet, maybe the morning of the banquet. And he would be sent with a second invitation. And this second invitation was maybe like an email reminder. Remember, uh, you've been invited to our home, you know, for, for a meal tomorrow. Um, because of the extensive preparations by the host, the guests who had already agreed to come were duty-bound to attend, to break this, to say no after you've already said yes, after the preparations have already been made, after the host has worked so hard, it was a tremendous offense to then break uh, the invitation. So in this parable, the host of the banquet is God, and the banquet represents his salvation. The first invitation was given to God's people at Mount Sinai uh, way back in Exodus chapter 24, um, where God covenanted to be their God. And they said, yes, uh, we will be your people. Uh, And in the parable then, the servant sent out to give the second invitation when when the banquet is ready. The second servant is the Lord Jesus Christ. His entire three-year ministry was him going um, and telling the people, the banquet's ready, the banquet's ready. Remember how it goes in John chapter, four, John chapter 1, verse 11, I think it is? I shouldn't be quoting uh, from the hip. Um, this passage just kind of rolled through my mind. Uh, he came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. But all who did receive him, he gave right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or of a a husband's will, but children who are born of God. That's a summary of what's going on here in this parable, frankly. Um, The Israelites had long looked forward to this banquet. It had been promised to them in Isaiah chapter 25. In Isaiah chapter 25, we read, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away every, or will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. He, it will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And so this great feast is really the salvation of God. This banquet, um, the, the heavenly banquet that Jesus is talking about here in this par- in this parable or, or Um, is a metaphor for our salvation that God 
has prepared for us. He has prepared us. He has prepared the salvation for us by giving us the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead of killing the fatted calf, God sent his own son uh, to the cross to die for our sins. So then, when it came time to receive the second uh, invitation, what did the people do? The people rejected it. Verses 17 through 20. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. If you think about it and look at these excuses, they're pretty lame. Who buys a field before first going and examining it? You know, they're going and buying the field. I'm sorry, they're going and examining the field after they've already purchased it. Same thing with this five yoke of oxen. Who buys five yoke of oxen? That's a pretty significant uh, investment without first uh, examining the oxen. You know, and then... You know, the guy that just got married. Well, you can take your bride to the banquet. She'd probably enjoy it. Um, You know, it's basically the same thing that a teenage girl says to the teenage boys. You know, I can't go out on Friday. I've got to do my hair, you know. Um, In other words, so if any of you guys have received that excuse, I'm sorry to tell you, it was a lame excuse. They didn't want to go out with you. Uh, In other words, the people simply did not want to come to the banquet. They were busy pursuing their own interest, and they thought that they had something better to do than go. If you pause and think about the excuses, none of the excuses uh, that were given here are particularly evil. In fact, they were things that good citizens and decent people um, might do on any given day. They were busy buying property, buying capital goods, the five yoke of oxen to improve their business. This guy who got married, he was just living life. The problem was they let their everyday interest get in the way of pursuing God and receiving his salvation. I want you to hear me. I want you to hear me well. I thought about this statement when it first went through my mind, and I don't say it lightly. Hell is full of decent people who are so given to pursuing decent things that they have no time for God. Let me ask you, have you secured your place at the great banquet by giving yourself to God and putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What business could possibly be more important than making sure you have eternal life? What concern here in this world would be more important than you having a relationship with your Creator? Life is short. Eternity is long. 
In this parable, when the people came with their lame excuses, the host instructed this, the servant to expand the guest list to include who? The poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, uh, he instructed the servant to go out and include those peoples that Jesus mentioned in verse 13 that should be invited to your banquet. So look at verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. You know, there's a point here I don't want, to, want us to overlook. There are families in our congregation uh, with children with special needs. Don't miss what Jesus is saying. Disability is no obstacle. Or I might say disability is no handicap for having a place at God's great banquet of salvation. The Lord Jesus has his eye on, as he says here, the poor, crippled, blind, and lame. And we could widen that out. Even after that, The servant came back and reported, there's still room at the table. So the host sent out the servant again, verses 22 and 23. And the servant said, sir, what you have commanded has been done and there's still room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. This is Jesus' way of telling the Pharisees and the self-righteous guests at the dinner that the despised Gentiles would enter into the great heavenly banquet before them. In every church, there are people who simply think that they're going to get a seat at the banquet table because they go to church, because they put money in the offering plate, or because they've been raised as a child in the church. Jesus' point, to put it in terms of uh, our own congregation, inmates at the Polk County Jail who have given themselves to God, who have placed their trust and their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, will take their place at the banquet before others who attend here regularly who do not have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to how Jesus concludes his parable in verse 24. He says, With great somberness, For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. I want to conclude by asking you why Jesus uses the metaphor of a banquet to teach us about salvation. You know, the high points of our calendar, Easter, Christmas, Fourth of July, and we could go on. The high points of our calendar year are marked by great meals because those days are so special. They linger the the memory of these meals and the fellowship we have with friends and family lingers in our memory months after the food has been digested. 
Jesus likens our salvation to a feast because he is saying that his salvation is so deeply satisfying. I believe that eternity will be not just, we we won't just have one great banquet. I believe our eternity in Christ will be one big banquet, one big eternal banquet. We will always be celebrating. There will always be fullness in our lives every moment of our existence in eternity. Our souls will be deeply and eternally satisfied. We will worship God without that weakness that marks our worship here on earth. There will be no mundane moments. There will be no more loneliness. There will be no more boredom. No more weeping. No more dissatisfaction at all. All our spiritual appetites will be filled. All the longings of the redeemed soul will be met. We will live happy, satisfied, fulfilled, contented lives forever. The world suggests that eternity will be dull because Christians are considered a bore. Well, what the world offers is superficial at best. And I want to I want to exhort you take your place at the great banquet of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has made all the preparations. There's nothing you need to do. You don't need to bring a dish. Everything has already been prepared. God sent His Son to be fattened with your sins. He turned His back on the Lord Jesus and struck Him in all His holy wrath. In our place, because of us, because of our sins against God. And Jesus promises to give us all of His righteousness so that we can take our place in God's presence, trust Him, and look forward to that great banquet that we will enjoy in Christ forever and ever and ever and ever. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God, give us the joy of thinking about the um, banquet that we will Enjoy in your presence. Oh, Lord, we have the the Lord's table spread before us today. Give us a taste of that heavenly banquet, even this morning, as we fellowship with you and with each other. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.